The Start On Demand. demand. Let's face it, this fall has been garbage. And Loren McNabb went out and checked in with a couple of people who have been heavily affected. One of them is Clint Moss at a maze in Corn. They've had to shut down the haunted forest because the water level is too high. She also visited a farmer in the Niverville area who has taken drastic measures to get his equipment back out into the field so he can harvest his crop. We'll speak to a woman who got mugged, but she fought back and punched the mugger. It's Dwarfism Awareness Month, and Friday is Dwarfism Awareness Day. We'll speak to our friends at the Little People of Manitoba. And who is your favorite Winnipeg sports legend? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, October 24th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and I want you to go to our 680CJOB Instagram because we have put up pictures and video of a steel-toe, boot-adorned Loren McNabb as she's <laughs> plodding through a soaked field right next to a washed-out parking lot at a maize and corn. And you also visited a farm where something kind of ingenious, actually, to get back out into the field. And uh, so you, where did, when did you partake in these adventures this week, Loren? Well, as you know, I live south of Winnipeg, and so I often take different routes home. And we've visited the Amazing Corn before. That's the water, the parking lot that's underwater. That was just two weeks ago today, actually. And so I popped back in yesterday because I just wanted to see how they're doing. And so we're going to update you with that just after 6.30. But the farm you're talking about, um, I was driving past this one a couple days ago, and there was all these huge mud ruts in the field, and it looked like somebody had tried to get into the ditch and tried to get in through the other side, and I thought, oh, I bet you they're trying to, you know, get their equipment onto the field and got stuck. And then when I drove past the next day, there was these planks, like a wood bridge <laughs> built over the mud to help get the vehicles into the cornfield that's been sitting there for weeks, as we all know, like half the crop in Manitoba is still on the fields because of wet, dry or wet, wet, snowy conditions. And so we're going to pay a visit to a Niverville area farmer at 745 to hear his, I think it's ingenious, but he's basically frustrated and came up with this hybrid solution to try to get his, uh, combines and trucks and all the rest onto his field. It's the exact word I was batting around in my head when I'm looking at this video, Loren. It is ingenious. And I think it just highlights to me how intent farmers are at getting the job done and how ingenious they are, not only uh, when you can see it, but all the time. Like, There's always a way to get the job done. I think that's the overriding mentality of anybody who's in agriculture. Absolutely. He said, uh, you know, he's put gravel down before. He's tried other ways to get on the field in the past. It's not their first rodeo with wet conditions, <laughs> especially in the Red River Valley. But this is a first for this farmer to have built this sort of plank system. And uh, it might be one he has to revisit, you know, as he said to me, and we'll play some of that audio again at 745. You kind of have to keep reinventing yourself because no year is the same. And just when you think you've conquered one thing, like the wettest September on record, you hit snowstorm and then something else so yeah it's pretty pretty incredible so again go to 680cjob's instagram make sure you follow us there and you can see the pictures and video in our latest post at 707 we're going to speak to someone who's a good friend of this radio station her name is michelle bailey and what happened to her yesterday greg well she was mugged in a parking lot no better word for it somebody tried to steal her purse but she said uh, no way no how and she struck back 
and she's going to share her story with us. And part of that story, uh, Brett and Loren, is actually that she's sort of grieving because the individual who wanted to steal from her, about the same age as her daughter, and so she's kind of wondering if she might have handled things a little bit differently if she had just maybe a little bit longer to think about it. Well, and I wonder, too, with, with stuff like that, like why that is our instinct. This is a person who try, tried to do her wrong, and she's showing empathy and she feels guilty. Like, this happens just in regular everyday life, right, where mm-hmm. where someone, like, let, let's say a friend of yours does something to you, they, they hurt you or whatever, and you you try to say, oh, well, maybe they're going through something. Well, no, you shouldn't feel guilty if you strike back because sometimes people are just crappy and they deserve their comeuppance. It's, I think you just hit it, Brett, with sort of like the overriding emotion in many Winnipeggers' minds right now or hearts is just that, that balance of, you know, we've talked about crime a lot and what we want to do about it. And then when you do do something about it, is that the right answer? And I can see where Michelle's coming from because it's a young it's a, a young, a younger woman that uh, tried to steal from her. And so you're feeling badly for that. But you, you make a good point. If someone hurts you, it's not wrong to say, hey, <laughs> no, you hurt me. But I think we have this guilt in all of us all the time. Well, have you, any of you or either of you seen the video of that teacher from the school in Oregon mm-hmm. where they thwarted what might have been a mass shooting at a school and a student goes in with a shotgun and then they, this just went to trial, and so now the the video is coming out in the public, and you can see the kids running for their lives, essentially, because this uh, fellow student has a gun, and then they show video of one of the teachers actually hugging this kid while another teacher disarms him. And so this video came out, I think it was on Friday, Loren, and over the weekend it was shared uh, millions of times, just this different approach. And obviously it's not going to work in every situation, but it certainly has people thinking and talking about how they react in a time of crisis, depending on your relationship with the person on the other side. Oh, that's a, that's a hard video to watch, and it's a pretty pretty powerful thing to think about. And I don't know. I don't know what your instinct is in any moment. Get let a, Like a purse snatching to a you know, a shooter, like there's such different scenarios, but that comes to the heart of why is that crime happening in the first place, right? Is this just a kid who's hungry in the case of the purse snatcher? Or is it a kid who's got some serious issues you need to deal with? Or is it just somebody who's like mean and, and, and doesn't care and doesn't, doesn't have any consequence or or feelings for human life? I, I think quite possibly the answer in both those scenarios is that you have young people who are in a troubled place and that's the commonality there. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's where it's striking Michelle. So I look forward to uh, hearing from her, not because uh, I want to exploit her drama, but just because I think it'll be a fascinating study for all of us to, to hear what she's going through today. How many times have we talked about in the last few months? What would you do? You know, we talk about situational awareness and how you would react. And now we have someone we can speak to about how they reacted and, and then and what they were left feeling afterward. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and Matt. What's Matt Nichols up to? Oh, man, this is a feel-good story. You know, Matt Nichols, his uh, daughter, daughter's name is Winnie. After Winnipeg, like, are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Like, nice. So great. He and Allie have become such a big part of the Winnipeg community. So here's the story. Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback Matt Nichols and his wife Allie have donated $10,000 to the Children's Hospital Foundation to help 
fund the purchase of new Cinema Vision goggles. Now, this is a $75,000 initiative, and so this takes the Children's Hospital to almost $61,000 of that initiative. And you might be wondering, what are these Cinema Vision goggles for? These goggles come complete with headphones. And what it does is if, you, if you're a kid and you need an MRI, if you've ever had an MRI, it's super loud because it's a spinning magnet. inside. Mm. It's a giant machine that you go inside and you have to hold very still in order for those images to be clear. Well, if you're distracted, um, those images don't come out very well. And so it leads to sometimes having to sedate the patients. Well, what these goggles do is it keeps the the kids occupied. They can watch a movie while they're in there, and the headphones block out the noise. So that's what they're doing, and that's what this initiative is going to allow. And so they figure that it's going to eliminate up to 30% of, of kids that need to be sedated for something like this. So it's a win on the, for the kids. They don't have to put medicine in their bodies that they mm-hmm. would otherwise be exposed to. And it's a win because then the MRIs are more clear and you don't have to reschedule an appointment. It, it makes the equipment and that resource much more uh, highly functioning. Well, there's like adults who are scared to to get that done, right? Because you have different feelings of claustrophobia or just being, it's an enclosed space, right? When that happens, Greg, like the MRI? Absolutely. uh, Alexander had to have one uh, once. And uh, yeah, it's not a fun experience for a little kid to go in Mm -hmm. there. So to to have a a little bit of a a distraction, I think, is an amazing thing. So good on the Nichols family for, for stepping up to the plate here. Also got to mention another Winnipeg sort of athlete, Timu Solani, the Finnish Flash. He is going to be in Winnipeg this Sunday, and he's going to be signing uh, his book at uh, Indigo Chapters in Coles and Chapters St. Patel. So it's going to be Chapters St. Patel, and it's from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m., signing his book, uh, which is called My Life and... He's going to be in Saskatoon the day before. He is. And I, I think the, the information I have here, and maybe it's contradictory to yours, Brett, is that he's also going to be at Chapters Polo Park at 1230 okay, on great. Sunday. So a couple of different opportunities to meet up with Timo Solani. And if this is a rendering of the book cover, it actually pictures Solani in a Winnipeg Jets uniform from the Heritage Classic three years Ooh. ago in Winnipeg where Solani scored the game-winning goal in, uh, on a penalty shot against the Oilers. <laughs> not that I, I could, remember that or anything. Of course, not that you would, right? Do you know the exact minute it happened? No, I do not. somewhere in your brain, too. No, no. I, that brain of yours is amazing. I, we should get an MRI on that brain just to see how it, it works. Oh, it, please. It holds a lot of information. It does not, but thank you for suggesting. <laughs> so So this got me to thinking, Loren, mm-hmm. who who are the most beloved Winnipeg athletes of all time? Also, make sure you check out our 680CJOB Instagram page for pictures and video of what Loren McNabb went out to see, sort of an update on something you checked out two weeks ago, Loren. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks ago, of course, we know the floodway was activated for the first time ever in the fall in Manitoba, and that's all because of rising waters and then that storm that hit a couple days later. So that floodway activation, of course, has helped keep Winnipeg homes dry. 
But south of the city, it's led to some overland flooding. And north of St. Adolphe, it's actually caused water to back up into some creek beds and ravines that would normally be dry this time of year. So as we were talking about a couple weeks ago, that was a huge blow to the amazing corn because it was already struggling with the wet, cooler temperatures. And you guys will recall last fall, I think they called it their worst fall on record. And then this year hit and then doubled down and was even more terrible for the amazing corn. So we told you October 10th, how the owner, Clint Moss, was scrambling to move some of the buildings used in its haunted forest to higher ground. And of course, this time of year is a huge time of year for them with Halloween looming. Yesterday, I paid another visit to the corn maze and found part of the parking lot was also underwater from the Seine River diversion spilling over its banks. So the good news is I can see on the tree lines, there's about six inches of what is the wet mark. So it shows the water is going down. Yeah, I think, I mean, my guess is it's it's probably wicked up a little bit. So I think it's gone down by my calculations, two inches, you know, over this uh, last two days because we've crested about yesterday, I think, sometime. And the back side, the last time I was here was completely we're starting to fill with water. Did you ever get the haunted forest going? No, actually, since you were here, it got way worse. I mean, it. I think it went up another two feet, and we went to what I called Plan C, and Plan C was just to close. We, you know, got a bunch of staff in, and we pulled out the haunted forest because it would... 90% of all the area we use is underwater. Have you ever had to do that before? No, never, 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 not once. And I think we haven't done it for 22 years, but we've done it for 15 years. And water in the haunted forest has never been a consideration. And you hope never a consideration again. Well, that's exactly it. So now what do you do? You, you scratch your head. What's the plan for next year? So, of course, you've been exposed to floods. You go, okay, not going to happen to me again. So... We're trying to think of what we can do, although it's a haunted forest. I mean, we can't grow trees in one calendar year. So, I don't know, still scratching our heads. So the big thing for you is if if the weather's decent, if you don't have the rain, people still come. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we've we've got uh, got pumpkins to offer. We have the petting zoo and we have the bale pyramid. Unfortunately, we just don't have that haunted forest. We know it's an anchor, but uh, if you just want to come out and get some exercise... Just watch for the website because Mother Nature still has a factor in what we do here and it is still muddy. It's hard to believe that I think every time I've driven past here, the sky looks like it does today. Gray, kind of gloomy. There's been a few spots of sunshine, but it's just it just seems to be unrelenting. Yeah, you know, we're getting... Uh, I'm already looking forward to the snow maze. I mean, I, today it was I was planning out snow maze stuff. And I think it was maybe it was a, a mental coping mechanism just to get away from this gray sky that you mentioned. You have, um, I said this to you before, you have great spirits about things. You had a bad year last fall, an even worse year this fall. Is there a benchmark for how many of these you can endure? Well, you know, the the nice thing is uh, the uh, snow maze kind of pulled us out of the water last year. That was a terrible pun, I guess. But it pulled us out of the water last year. And this year, hey, we're going, go snow maze, go. And uh, hopefully we have some great weather for that. We know that uh, Manitobans, they want to get out if the weather's great. Um, we just need Mother Nature to deal us a good deal for uh, for the Christmas and the January, February, March time. And I think things will be fine around here. 
I don't know how often you've heard anyone say that uh, in October, guys, but he cannot wait for winter. It's sort of like, let's just let this season end. Yes, they still have part of their business in operation, but as you heard, it's too late for that haunted forest, which he, which he calls the anchor of their business. It all went underwater. And so now he's just sort of like, you know what? Let that snow come, please. Well, uh, you know what? In all fairness to, to Clint, I understand where he's coming from. And I think for about 20 seconds there, I was with him on that let the snow come just for him so (laughs) i I don't want him to come quite yet but hopefully it's the perfect amount of snow and the right winter for them to uh, offset some of the losses from the fall for sure there's just all sorts of people who are impacted by this this bad weather. And I know we, you were even talking about construction sites you were driving past yesterday, Greg. Yeah, the the uh, couple of people uh, that are building homes right now, and I know it's more than a couple, but one person in particular I've reached out to, just an absolute disaster in their uh, yet-to-be-poured basement. All the styrofoam ICF forms are up, and they haven't been able to pour the concrete. It's a walkout basement. It, it looks like a, a really awesome swimming pool right now, but oh. uh, that's... That's not the intention. So if you're trying to build a house out there, I'd love to come out and see the problems that the weather's caused for you, not because we want to revel in your misery, but because there's a story to share there and and we'd love to hear from you. So reach out gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com, or mcnab at cjob.com. And just uh, one final thought on that haunted forest. I've been to the corn maze a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, re- around this time of year, but I've never been able to get into the haunted forest because the lineup was always something like two hours long. Good point, right. It is a huge attraction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I've walked past it because the edge of the maze sort of takes you past it, and I just kind of stood there enviously because I didn't get there early enough to get tickets for that thing. So for that, that it truly is the anchor of their business mm-hmm. right now. So for them to lose that, that's just awful. This fall has been just garbage. I it hate is. it. It's so gross. And that's why I think he said, just let winter come. And so I, I, I feel for him. And at 745, we're going to talk to another farmer about what he's been going through. And there are thousands like him. And I know there are more like Clint. There's produce uh producers, there's vegetable producers, there's all sorts of, you know, potato farmers. Everyone's kind of like, they have to be pulling out their hair right now because every day it really does. You said sun today, right, Greg? Yep. Sun Sun today. Yep. Partly sunny tomorrow. So, and uh, some decent temperatures over the next couple of days as well. I, uh, I I even have family, you know, who work outside. When I mentioned it might be sunny today, it's like, what? Really? Please. Like, because everybody's just sick of that gray. Yeah, and it's got to be affecting, well, for me, it's golf. But mm-hmm. I, my understanding is Kingswood Golf Course is still open. Really? So I'm going to, this is it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm heading out there tomorrow, come hell or high water, uh, <laughs> because I need to get one more round in. And if yeah. they're still open, I am going golfing. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Fortier is here. Not sure. And here comes Kelly Moore. We want to talk right now about who your favorite Winnipeg sports legend is. And this was inspired by a couple of conversations. One of them was the fact that Matt Nichols, quarterback Matt Nichols for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, he and his wife, Allie, have donated $10,000 to the Children's Hospital Foundation to make it easier for kids to go through MRI scans. And then we also pointed out that Timu Solani, 
The Finnish Flash is going to be in Winnipeg on Sunday to sign his book, My Life, at Chapters Pull Park at 12.30 and Chapters St. Vitale at 3 o'clock. So that just got us thinking, who's your favorite? And of course, we had Milt Stiegel in the studio last week. He's been so active with the HSC Foundation in spite of the fact mm-hmm. he doesn't live in Winnipeg anymore but calls this his second home. And then the news uh, earlier uh, this week, late last week, that Dale Howarchuk is uh, dealing with cancer. Just has us thinking about all the different aspects of the, the great Winnipeg sports legends over the years. We're getting some great names on text. 780-6868. We'll share those with you in a minute. But uh, why don't we start with Jeff Braun? You know, uh, the guy I like, I think, the most, and I don't even really know why. I can't put my finger on it, but every single time I see him, it brings a smile to my face, and it's Kahari Jones, the former Blue Bomber yeah. quarterback. Oh, yeah. And when he's now he's on the sidelines dancing sometimes at, uh, for the Alouettes or whatever. And we lost to the Alouettes a few weeks ago, and I was like, you know what? Don't mind when we lose to Kahari Jones. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was just like he's such a, he was such a nice guy when he was here. I just really like him. And uh, I seeing him succeed makes me happy. I like that. That's a great answer, Jeff. Kelly Moore? Well, uh, it was a gentleman who we lost uh, last summer. Uh, one of my absolute favorite people in the whole world, Abby McDonald. He was just so giving with his time. When you say gentleman, Abby McDonald is immediately comes to mind. He'll be a hero of mine for as long as I'm on this earth. That's a great, great choice. I'm going to actually say, well, Team Jennifer Jones, and in particular, uh, Jill Officer. Uh, I've been able to speak to her, you know, just calling her for one of the programs here, but uh, she has just this bubbly personality, mm-hmm. and she's a great interview, and she's just so much fun. So I, and She's gold medal winner for Olympics, so... Good yeah. choice. Great, great and, and take. And nobody can clean a house better than Jill. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, McNabb? Jill's a great one. I wish I had thought of that, too, because she's so good to even just... When we reach out to these people all the time, you know, they're allowed to say no. They have lives. They have things going on. And she always says yes when it's time to come on for an interview or, or just help out something in her community. She's lovely. I also have a big place in my heart for... The, it's kind of the stories you've covered over the years, and Clara Hughes is another one, not oh, just yeah. because of what she did, you know, both in both sports, right, um, as an Olympian, but because of all the conversations she's created around mental health, I think have been huge for many young Manitobans and Canadians. And so uh, Clara Hughes would be one for me. This is a text message that got my attention here, uh, although it's, it now seems to have disappeared. It was related to basketball, actually. It's somebody I've never even heard of. Uh, do you have it open there, Greg? Because it's disappeared from me. I've been clicking through some of the different ones here. Oh, here it is. My favorite is Winnipeg sports legend, Winnipeg Cyclones star, Andrell Horde from back in the day led the league in scoring. This was back when Chocolate Thunder was the coach. But that got me thinking. Uh, that's right, Daryl Dawkins. But the th- the Thunder comment got me thinking of the Winnipeg Thunder. And mm-hmm. anybody who went to Winnipeg Thunder games remembers J.J. Eubanks. <laughs> Always draining the threes from downtown. Oh, he could sink from half court. So yeah, yeah, not a legend, but that's probably my favorite uh, Winnipeg sports athlete just in terms of the stuff that I enjoyed. It was, it was such a big basketball fan back in the day. Looking at Daryl Dawkins, do you guys remember... The Saturday Night Live connection with him? No. no. It was right before Y2K and Saturday Night Live, and it was a comedy bit, and they said, uh, we're going to choose our man of the millennium. 
and the nominees were William Shakespeare, Albert Einstein, and Daryl Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> and they chose Chocolate Thunder. And it was while he was a coach here, That's I think. That's fantastic. Oh, wow. yeah. You're kidding. Great memory there. That's so weird. That well, is bizarre. My choice, and I there's a, a long list for me, but my choice is a personal, me- personal memory back in January or February of 1978. We were at a a Winnipeg Jets open practice, and it was a freezing cold Saturday, and our car would not start. So my dad popped the hood, hoping somebody would come and give us a boost, and this big black Cadillac pulls up, and out jumps Anders Hedberg and Lars Eric Schoberg to oh, give us wow. a boost. Yeah. And nice. so, you know, that, that, that meant to me how Manitoban they were. They were just yeah. one of us, and that exemplifies the Blue Bombers and, and, the, and the Jets, in particular in the WHA days, how a big part of the community they were. They were just regular people and how approachable they were. And so that, that's uh, Anders Hedberg has always been one of my favorite people, one of my favorite sports people, and uh, just uh, all around great guy. It's a good example of how all our all the athletes were naming. It's not really it's about what they did on the field or on the ice, yeah, but it's who they were off that seems to resonate I think more with all of us. Well, Kenny yeah. Plain has got mentioned here. Of course, he's not uh, he's not even Canadian and he's from Iowa and has made his home here in Winnipeg. Worked for CJOB for a lot of years. Just saw him uh, pre-game uh, I think it was three weeks ago out at IG Field. So Ken Plain is on the list. Scott from Bird River says, good morning, you guys. As far as Winnipeg sports legends go, hands down, a family friend and neighbor, Jerry James. And as you well know, yeah. uh, he played both in the CFL and the NHL at the same time. I think he won the Grey Cup and yes, the Stanley did. Cup yeah. as a really? football player and a hockey player. Yeah, I believe, uh, I'm trying to remember if he's the only one who's ever done that. I, I know believe some, he is. Yeah, there is a distinction for Jerry uh, very close to that, yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned Milt Stegall. I dug out this piece of audio. I believe this is from 2005. Milt uh, had a bone to pick with the refs, and this clip makes me laugh every time I hear it. These refs are excellent. They they do a great job every game. If if they don't get a raise, I'll give them half of my salary. These refs are. They can't find me for saying that, can they? I know they can't. So I just want to congratulate them once again. They that that pass that Jill caught that, that was definitely incomplete. They they didn't they didn't have to make a bad call. I don't think they've made a bad call since I've been there for eleven years. So I want I just congratulate them on a great job. Well, you guys just saw me being a little animated, but I was congratulating them oh, on a great wait job. Wait a minute now. Year. Wait a minute now. Milk. They, they can't find me for saying that. Like I say, I, if they say he didn't catch it, there's no way. These guys are they're robots. They're not even humans. They they call a great game every game. So they definitely deserve a raise. <laughs> Oh boy! Good at sarcasm too. Good at football. Good at sarcasm. Yesterday, we told you the story of Luke Dobek, who was at the Superstore in Gateway last week. They've got a Liquor Mart Express. He was in the checkout. He saw two guys run in. He and a couple of other customers went after them because they were about to rob the Liquor Mart. They were able to grab one of them, and there was uh, an altercation, and they held one of them until the cops showed up. And uh, you're hearing Rob Carver and Global Rob Carver and Global News from the Winnipeg Police saying, you know, it's probably uh, not a good idea to do that. Well, yesterday we learned that a good friend of this radio station, Greg. She was, someone tried to rob her, and she, too, fought back. Yeah, Michelle Bailey joins us by telephone now, and we say good morning to her. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, guys. I know you had a rough day yesterday, and we've been communicating back and forth already this morning. You're of two minds on what went down yesterday. Why don't we start with the incident that brings us together this morning? Uh, 
Okay, well, first of all, good morning to everybody. Um, and let's hope that we don't have any of these stories happening today. Uh, I was just going to a work event, um, uh, going away luncheon on the cor- at one of the restaurants on the corner of St. James and Porridge Avenue. was a little bit late, but as I was waiting at the light uh, heading south, I noticed there were at least four people who were panhandling. And I, you know, this is one of those things where I just kind of, my eyes were everywhere. I'm just, you know, watching and making sure that I'm paying attention to my uh, environment. Went and couldn't find a place to park. So uh, my apologies to the clinic there, but that's where I ended up parking to go to a restaurant. And as I got out of my vehicle, you know, my dad always taught me, have your fists ready to go. Like we're talking about, that's from like, you know, old school. That's like 1985 talk. And I, I, I'm glad I did because when I got out of my vehicle, uh, there was a woman who was at least uh, 5'11", I'm about 5'3", and she tried to grab my purse and I popped her in the face. You reached out and struck her, Michelle. Was that instinct, do you think, based on what your dad told you? Would you have seen it coming otherwise if you hadn't gotten out of the car <clears throat> like that? You know what? I think it was both instinct, plus I also grew up near Selkirk, so I think that that's just you know one of those things that... Like, I was just always taught to be ready to do something to protect myself. Um, and you guys know I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a former reporter, and, and I've also just, through those years, have learned about different things, about being um, aware and careful. And But I just, it just, I, I really, I, I, I think I may have even broken her nose. It, I hit her that hard. My, my fist today is still a little bit sore. My, my knuckles are a bit sore. And she ran, and then I ran. So she went in one direction, I went in a whole other direction, because I was then worried, were there going to be other people who maybe mm. were going to do something to me? So, Michelle, a uh, harrowing story, but there's another side to this, because of the age of the person that was trying to rob you. Yes. So I have a almost 21-year-old daughter. She'll be 21 at the end of this month. And as I processed this whole thing through the, the day, um, I locked eyes with this young lady at one point. And all I could think of was I may have just injured somebody who is around the same age as my daughter, maybe hasn't, doesn't have a home, doesn't have a meal to eat, is perhaps on some sort of God knows what, maybe meth. And the, then I started feeling guilty about doing what I did, having done what I did. And it was, um, it was not a really good feeling. And, you- and I was conflicted with, okay, so yeah, I punched this woman in the face because she was trying to rob me. But in the same breath, I maybe hurt somebody who is hurting already. It's a pretty human reaction, I think, Michelle. We were talking about, you know, that, that instinct to fight. And we, all, we always say what we think we would do in a moment and how we think we would feel. How are you feeling this morning? That was your, that was your emotion. I know last night, have you, have you come around again to thinking you did the right thing? Or, or would you do the same thing again? I do believe I would have done the same. I would do the same thing again. Because knowing myself, that is that is instinct. I think that is like my, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, uh, two years ago, I was walking to a Jets game down Carlton and I had, was with somebody, but they, this person said, Hey, can I rob you tonight? Jeez. 
And I, my, my reaction was, yeah, maybe not tonight. And he goes, okay. <laughs> I just kept walking. So I didn't have to, but I, but I mean, I, I was walking with my fists ready to go if I needed to pop somebody in the event that they were going to try to hurt me or hurt somebody I was with. I do that when I walk with my kids. It's just like, I feel like I need to do that. And that's frightening to feel that way, feel so vulnerable. So when you go to your car now, uh, do you feel like you're going to be a little extra paranoid or like, is this something that's going to stay with you for a long time? I would say, I would say probably Brett. And then not just yesterday, I've been doing this for a long time, especially in this city. I have been feeling like we cannot even go out to our own cars outside of our own places of work or anything without this feeling of you need to know what's going on. I had a talk with my kids last night. I told both of them, stop it with the earbuds, stop it with the headphones. You have got to be paying attention to what's going on. Michelle Bailey joining us live on 680 CJOB. Someone tried to mug her yesterday. She struck back. Thank you for sharing your story, Michelle. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, too. And everybody just really try to be safe out there, okay? Well, the aftermath from this brutal September and the storm uh, that hit two weeks ago continues. We just had a listener text about how her parents in their 80s are still without power two weeks later. They're in that hard-hit area north of Winnipeg. Later this morning, the city is going to update us on how it's dealing with all these trees that have been knocked down and how the tree debris is being dealt with at Brady Road Landfill. And then outside city limits, you have all these farmers who, long before that snow fell two weeks ago, were talking about their concerns about getting the crop off. At least 50% of the crop was still on the field as of mid-September. And then, of course, that snow came. And while almost all of it is gone, the ground is saturated, which is why what I spotted on a drive south of the city yesterday really stood out. So I was passing a field with huge ruts in the mud, but on the road going into that field, the approach, there was a row of planks, I'd guess about 40 meters long, and I posted pictures of it on my Twitter, McNabb on Global, But essentially, these planks were like a bridge built over the muddy road. And so this Niverville area farmer, Grant Dick, it's the first time he says he's ever done something like this. But he says he was just so frustrated waiting for Mother Nature to cooperate that he spent thousands of dollars on this wood plank system just so vehicles could get into this cornfield without getting stuck. And so we met up yesterday as the temperature was dropping again and the winds were picking up. We're looking at a field, a 700-acre field that has dirt road and creek around it, and it's on a provincial trunk highway. However, we can't load on the highway for safety's sake. There's not enough physically. There's not enough room here to load. So, we've brought in uh, 24 pad, wooden pads. They're 14 by 8 feet, and we laid them out and had to put some sand on them so it's traction. They're wood pads the same as people using the oil patch or Trans-Canada Pipeline or Hydro. I'm looking at mud tracks that are and ruts that have got to be a half a foot deep in some spots. How would you describe the challenge of getting into a field when it's so wet like this? Yeah, it's it's uh, mentally, I think that's, a, that's the toughest thing on farmers this time of year. So a lot of the farm equipment these days, like the combines used to get the crop off, they have those tracks, uh, mm-hmm. which means they can work better in the mud, Greg. But you know the, the grain trucks, the semis that might be used to get the, the wheat or the corn or whatever it is from the combine to the bin, 
they, they're all wheels, right? So without laying that wood down, the truck can't get in to get the crop, meaning that it wouldn't be able to come off until the mud is dry. So thanks to that system he's got, at least in that field, they were back yesterday for the first time in weeks. He says they still got about half his crop. There's about 7,000 acres at this end of October still waiting to come off. This whole area, we can't get to it. Our soybeans are two miles down dirt roads. There's, there's, and now with the, with the floodway closing, it actually flooded out the roads. So we physically can't access the, the land we're trying to get to. So, What do you say to those? And we've done a couple of interviews with farmers over the past few weeks, and people will text in and say, well, they have insurance, so that'll help them out. What's your response to that? No, I think that's a misnomer. People people assume that when you say the word insurance, it means you get... We, that barely covers your inputs, to be honest. Like, we still have operational costs. For instance, being this wet, uh, you could assume the average farm is going to incur at least 20, if not as high as, could be 30, 40% more cost to get the crop off. So you look at, we've got super bees that are split now. We're double the drivers, double the truckers out in the field. It just starts to snowball, you know, and, and you can't run as long a day because you're fighting mud. It's tough on guys and we're trying to be safe about this. So it's, uh, so it's not even like with insurance you break even. No, 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 generally not. It's, uh, maybe, you know, I shouldn't say that because it maybe covers your inputs, but not all your operations and your... Right, but it's like you come out at the end of the year with having had no income for that right. year. Yeah, right. Stress level? How do you rate it right now? I, honestly, we, we, we're set up as best we can. There's nothing else we can do. It's problems out of our hands. You, know, you take care of what you can take care of and what's out of your, out of your control. You just got to deal with one day at a time. Apologies for the win there, but it was that kind of day no matter where we stood. And, and by 3.30 yesterday, um, they were making good headway on that crop. And then about 15 minutes into that visit, though, this happened. Yeah. Okay. What? Dead? Okay. Sorry. Just give me one sec. Go for it. Yeah. I heard the word quitting. <laughs> yeah, and I know it was hard to hear there, but I had to play that because you know he was expressing some optimism. They had made some headway. They had he had built this whole system, and then of course, just when you think you're getting ahead, it was temperature was dropping, and one of the guys came off the field and, and walked up to him, and there was just a sigh, that look on everyone's face, like it was too, it got wet again. It was too damp at that time in the day, and so at three thirty, often these guys will go till midnight if they can, or through the night. Three thirty, they were done. At least Grant said he got some of the crop off, but that's just a picture, guys, of what they're trying to do to try to get some of this off. At this rate, if all goes well, and this is a well scenario, he thinks he'll be in the field still in December. Oh, wow. my word. So you can see pictures and video on 680CJOB's Instagram. We would love for you to follow us there. Well, here's the headline at globalnews.ca. Irish man arrested after 39 bodies found in a cargo truck in England. And police there are still trying to piece together where these victims came from and what happened. But they're already calling it one of Britain's worst people smuggling tragedies. Global's Redmond Shannon joins us now over the phone. And uh, good morning, first of all. How are you, Redmond? Good morning, guys. I'm well. This is, uh, I mean, I, when I saw the number, first of all, and then went through my mind how and what was going on, uh, w- tell us a bit about first how this discovery was made. Yeah, so uh, yesterday, uh, in the early hours of yesterday, uh, there was a call made uh, to an industrial uh, park um, about 30 kilometers east of London. Um, and when uh, ambulance services arrived there, they found the bodies of 39 people in the back of a container truck. Uh, all the people in the back had died. There were no survivors. 
And uh, we have since learned that um, 31 of them were men, eight of them were women, one of the women was a teenager, and uh, they are all, we believe, uh, police believe, are from China. So that is, that's the information that we've just learned today. But uh, yesterday, quite, uh, quite a, such a mundane scene in many ways. We were out there for uh, Global News. Um, a truck in an industrial park looks very normal, but what had happened in it is quite horrifying. And the last moments of those people, you can, you can only imagine. But uh, there was a lot of confusion initially about where that truck came from. And uh, you said there that an Irish man has been arrested. Yes, a man from Northern Ireland uh, remains uh, uh, in custody and has been questioned by police on suspicion of murder. Has not been charged, but his uh, three locations in Northern Ireland uh, near where he is from are, have been uh, raided by police. Uh, he is the driver of the truck who was uh, who is 25 years old and was arrested at the scene. Uh, but uh, he drove the truck from Northern Ireland to England and picked up the trailer which had come on a ferry from Belgium just half an hour before. So he picked it up and half an hour later the call was made. We don't know if the driver made the call to emergency services, but uh, the driver did not bring the, the, tr- the trailer on a long journey. He had just picked it up when the call was made. So has not yet been charged, but obviously a hugely serious investigation and highlighting what is an ongoing, very serious problem. Redmond, we've seen how desperate people from North Africa and other parts of uh, the Middle East are, are how desperate they are to get to Europe right now. Uh, these are Chinese nationals. Has this been something that's been common? Has this happened before? We're so used to seeing uh, images of people on boats in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we see it in the United States on the U.S.-Mexico border. But is this something that happens commonly in the U.K.? Uh, it, it relatively commonly uh, over the last uh, five years, there have been instances, one or two deaths in uh, people found in trucks or died while trying to get access to the UK on trucks. But 19 years ago, uh, there was an even worse incident also involving Chinese people, uh, 58 who suffocated in the back of a truck at the port of Dover. So this has been going on a long time. It's uh, And, you know, it makes the news when people die in the UK, uh, but what doesn't make the news so much anymore, but we know happens all the time, is the number of North African and African migrants who who drown in the Mediterranean all the time, and it sort of becomes normal. And just because people die here, it makes bigger news. These people's deaths, it's hugely tragic, but this is such an ongoing problem, uh, such uh, an issue that is being dealt with, not just in the UK, but across Europe. So this is a case of, we don't know, I suppose, what these people were trying to do, that they may have paid somebody to make this voyage, and then it turned really ugly in the sense of that they might have been locked in a container. We don't know any of those details, Redmond, but they weren't, they weren't being smuggled here for other purposes, you know, in, in a human trafficking ring. We, we believe this is a case of people trying to get out and into Europe. Well, uh, that truck, that type of truck, it's almost impossible to imagine that those people got in of their own accord and smuggled themselves in because you you probably have to lock that from the outside. So there are other people most likely involved. Uh, It does. I you would imagine normally the case in these cases is these people pay a lot of money and owe a big debt uh, to someone to get themselves to a country where they want to make a new life. 
and uh, police are will be investigating and looking for uh, most likely for other people involved in this but they haven't said a whole lot about the nature of their investigation uh, or what they suspect has happened as yet. Global's Redmond Shannon joining us live on 680 CJOB from England. Redmond, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Bye. It is time for our annual visit with our friends from the little people of Manitoba. Samantha Rayburn-Trubick is the president and Connie Lidster is the vice president joining us live in studio. Good morning, girls. How are you? Hi, good morning. Thanks for having us. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the the M word as it pertains to hockey and basketball, football, sports in Manitoba and the negativity that came out from people when that, you know, what's the big deal? It's just a word, you know, everybody gets offended about everything these days. What what was your reaction, Samantha, to all that negativity? I was really quite shocked, actually. Um, It was really personal and it was really hurtful. And I was really shocked at the, um, the trolls that came out. And I, you know, I had, I had messages from people all over Canada uh, saying I was ruining hockey calling me the C word, just really, really wow. negative, negative. And I was actually, so I guess my reaction was I was very, very shocked and uh, really um, disappointed with where we are today as in 2019, that this is where, this is what's important to folks. Yeah. You know, I was so excited to celebrate that news with you. We thought of you right away. And when we, we heard that the change was being made, I think uh, Brett and I collectively might have been as happy for you as any two people because, you know, we know intimately uh, your story. We've become friends over the years. And I saw some of the reaction and it was it was horrifying to the point where you had to, you had basically you had to sequester yourself from social media altogether, didn't you? I sequestered myself from social media and it took a real hit on my mental health. And uh, it, it really impacted me very deeply and, and darkly this year. Um, I took it very, very personal and I don't, you know, it is what it is, but I did sequester myself from social media to the point where even coming into Dwarfism Awareness Month this month, um, I I was, I'm really guarded, much more guarded than I've ever been before because I really, A, I want to protect my son, Yale, and my husband, like my family, um, because nobody should have to go through this. And, uh, and it took a real hit on my mental health and, uh, and more so than I expected. Why can maybe for those who are wondering, like, what is wrong with the M word? Can you just sort of give us a recap as to why the word is so offensive? Yeah. So the the word stems. So the term midget stems from a word midge and midge means tiny fly that spreads disease, which um, in itself is a terrible thing. And when you're referred to something like that, it's awful. It, it really heightened. It was heightened in the freak show era in the 1800s where little people were put on display, taken from their families, put uh, in freak shows uh, and really just put in horrible, horrible, horrible conditions. Right. Um, and really were just there to make money for someone else. So, Connie, uh, in, in light of this change, something that uh, we thought a year ago, if it had come to fruition over the coming year, we'd be sitting here today celebrating the fact that uh, Samantha's been through what she's been through and the, and the reaction to that. Can we shift gears just a little bit and talk about what we do have to celebrate this month? Because I, I think we'd like to leave this in the, this year in the rearview mirror, safe to say, Samantha. <laughs> 
Yeah, we we have a lot of pride, and I think Connie's going to talk a little bit about the pride. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, Dwarfism Awareness Day. We were the first province in Manitoba to have declared this day to recognize people with dwarfism because we are um, little people. We have uh, there's over 400 different types of little uh, little people of dwarfism. Uh, we're one in 20,000 births, and so like we're 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 professionals. We're doctors. We're lawyers. We're accountants. We're everyday people trying to do our everyday life and and you know when when um, when we have support it feels great so sport manitoba thank you so much for stepping up and helping us actually bring this to the plate and show people that this is a word that that does affect and does impact people within manitoba people within the world and um and and I think that, you know, I'm proud that I'm able to uh, raise myself to a level playing field in an average height world with courage, tolerance and resiliency to do so and confidence to maintain. And uh, and it's with the support with, you know, friends from like Samantha and through the little people of Manitoba. We have a great organization that does, you know, it's, it's, that does provide support and help and and uh, camaraderie and advocacy. And the day, the International Dwarfism Awareness Day is tomorrow, right? Yeah, Dwarfism Awareness Day is tomorrow in the province of Manitoba. And uh, yeah, so it's pretty exciting. It's our third one. And Hockey Canada, I understand, is going to be voting in November at their AGM on the M-word subject, right? They will. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe just stay off social media yeah, for a few days after that comes down. <laughs> One of our loyal listeners says, uh, what about the word dwarf? Is, is there a negative connotation there? Uh, are, are, you comfort- are we comfortable with that word? Because I think it's important to to understand all this, because that's that's why we do this to, to a great extent. Yeah, dwarf dwarf is fine. Dwarfism is uh, the medical term, so it's absolutely fine. Little person is fine. Little people is fine. My name is the best. Your name? My name. Really? <laughs> what a novel idea. <laughs> Gee whiz. What? <laughs> um, so, how do people? How do little people get in touch with you guys if they want to join your group? Um, so they can contact us. Uh, we have a website. It's littlepeoplemanitoba.wordpress.com. Or we also have a Facebook account at little P- at LP Manitoba. Uh, they can email us, lpmanitoba at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter account. And, um, yeah, and our contact information is there so people can uh, reach out to us. We've had conversations about um, accessibility on a lot of fronts, right? We've seen so many changes just in how our sidewalks are constructed uh, for those with mobility issues. How how are accessibility issues uh, for you? Are are there accommodations that are being made over time, Samantha? Yeah, for sure. There are, and there's still some ways to go. Um, Manitoba has the Accessibility for Manitobans Act, which is fantastic. So I think that's brought some great awareness. I'm actually speaking um, to RBC next month at their diversity event because um, they reached out and, and we had some words about some of their accessibility and they really want to want to be on board with being accessible for everybody. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a long way to go, but I think there's some great things to make that happen. What are some of the changes that you've seen o- over time in terms of accessibility and maybe one of the, the bigger challenges that, that needs to be addressed that hasn't been yet, Connie? For me, it's, um, you know, especially uh, the the doors, the heavy doors, right, with everyone putting in those accessibility um, <clears throat> uh, buttons to help open doors, um, things like counters being lowered. Uh, but for me at work, I mean, I need stools uh, to be able to reach things, right? It's it's not a big cost. Um, and then uh, I have a special chair that has a ring around the, the base so that my feet don't dangle and fall asleep all the time. There's little modifications that are happening that does make our life a lot easier. And I think 
think with the standard, the public spaces standards coming into effect soon, it's going to really change, um, you know, the, the physical aspect of, of walking into places and, and being accessible. So we're excited for that. I think, sorry, I think some of the challenges that we're still seeing, though, is there are the lower counters in a lot of these spaces, Starbucks, RBC, right? The tellers that are lower, but they're not being used properly. So, so they're there, but they're being used potentially as a storage unit mm. or as something just to put clutter on. They're, they're, they're being created just so you can say that you created it, but it's not being left genuinely accessible or usable. Check it, it's a check in the box. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's intentional. Sure. I just think folks don't know. It is International Dwarfism Awareness Day tomorrow, and it is Dwarfism Awareness Month. And Samantha Rayburn Trubick is president of the Little People of Manitoba. Connie Lidster is vice president of the Little People of Manitoba. And you can follow. What's the website once again, Connie? It is www.littlepeopleofmanitoba.wordpress.com. And you can follow them on social media as well. Samantha and Connie, thank you very much for thank the visit. You. Good thank to see you. Thank you. We got a text uh, from one of our listeners mm-hmm. here uh, about her mom and dad who have been without power for a couple of weeks. Yeah, Joanne wrote in this morning to say that her parents are in that group that are still without hydro since October 11th. October 10th, I believe, is the night it went out. They'll be turning 88 and 85 in December. And she says, I'm hoping they don't get sick because they are, you know, and this is a compliment. She says, the old pioneer type that refuse to leave. So, Greg, uh, you gave Art Snyder a call. He's in the Gramdale area. That's north of Winnipeg. There are still several hundred people there without power. And uh, just for our listeners' sake, Art is... 88. He's a little bit hard of hearing, but he had no problem sharing with Greg what he's been going through. 13 days without power. Tell us what it's been like. I used to complain when the power was off for an hour or two, but I never dreamt how it would be for 13 days. What have you been doing to cope with it, Art? Well, I think it's going to be hooked up real shortly, but there we have one with my luck there's one pole that's got bedrock and they can't put that in until they get the other machine to drill the hole so it could be the uh, a case of one hole holding things up for you art and one pole there's one pole that's holding my <laughs> hydro up now yeah so tell us how have you been coping without power what have you been doing what changes have you had to make well, my son brought a generator and some gas, and uh, I'm just amazed how well the generator works. And it's, at the start, we were only eating click sandwiches, but then we realized, hey, maybe we can use the microwave, and sure enough, it works beautiful. What has been the biggest challenge, Art? Pardon? What has been the biggest challenge of this whole endeavor? A shower? <laughs> Big. Wouldn't it be great to have a shower if that's what you said? <laughs> no hot water? Yeah, well, we we have water from the, from the snow, and uh, we're buying bottled water, which is great. And uh, this uh, it was amazing how it was so mild. And all a lot of that snow, it melted, and we have fresh, soft water. Sounds like you're making the most of it. Oh, 
yeah, for sure. But, uh, and also there's a little bit of bad luck here. We went to my son's place for a, for a shower and a, and a good hot meal. On the way home, I hit a deer. The first deer I hit in my driving career. So there's just been one bad luck after another, and I'll never forget 10-11. It's something like the 7-11, but of course not as serious, but 10-11 is at 20 minutes to 8. In the That's when our power went off. Art, we want to thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank you, and, and well, <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep an eye on what's happening with you, okay? Uh, well, I think I should get power... One of these days, <laughs> 13 days is long enough. We concur. Thank you, Art. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, no. That was great. I loved him. I loved that. He was fantastic. Oh. I wish I had taken part in that. I, I had to walk away for a second. I just needed to take a breath. I said to Macklin, I, I need to just go take a walk, man. Uh, and I missed out talking to Art. Yeah. He was terrific. And, He's uh, terrific and a good example of just that whole, uh, like that generation, man. Kudos, like too stubborn to go. So they're just powering through, pun intended here, uh, until they get the power back on. Well, and I think we've brought, uh, thanks to your uh, legwork, Loren, three terrific stories here on the backside of this story and this storm that we had two weeks ago. The, that resilience, that innovation, that never quit attitude that I think really defines Manitoba in all sorts of situations. But we really see it highlighted when we have these natural disasters. Yeah, and I think that that's the greatest. You know, we like Brett. You were saying this morning how depressing it's kind of been, and you're gonna you're determined to get out tomorrow and golf. So whether it be for your work or for your play or however you want to do it, you know, trying to find a bit of sunshine in your life. Uh, some great examples this morning. Well, in the question of the day, brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness two zero four eight three two sixty two forty three. And uh, we did. We've added this part to the poll on Twitter. Okay, so this fall has been garbage, but. What is usually your favorite part of fall slash autumn in Manitoba? Admiring the leaves, fall suppers, pumpkin-flavored anything, or Halloween? And so far, 59% say admiring the leaves, 18% say fall suppers, 18% say pumpkin-flavored anything, and just 5% say Halloween. I would have thought Halloween would get a few more plugs. And you can also cast a vote on that on Twitter at 680CJOB as well. I would have included fall golf, but uh, mm. I think that would be a little too little too personalized. It's just McGarry taking over the poll. No, but no. Isn't, Lots isn't of that, people look for, forward to that. Yeah, exactly. I think that this is the time of year. Like, I even just, like, I would way rather go to a football game this time of year than, say, in July. Like, I, it, it suits it suits my mood or the play or I don't know what. Like, some things just feel better in that crisp air. Yeah, that, it's the crisp. Yeah, that's, you nailed it right there. The crisp air. It's something about that. It's refreshing. You know, it's a little cooler, but it's just, it's not so cold you can't enjoy yourself. So cast your vote at cjob.com. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.